Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, it is time to hear your word. It is time to listen to your spirit. It is time to be conformed to to who you are. So, Lord, fill us, transform us, renew us, make us more like Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Years ago, my children were younger. Uh, One of our fun games was hide and seek. And I loved being a part of that. In fact, I think just last week, uh, we have someone, one of the kids in the family that's just a, a superstar hider. He, he, even as a uh, young man, wants to hide from people because it's, it's good to hide from people. But I can remember back in the day uh, when the kids were probably like two years old, three years old, and you'd play hide and seek. And, you know, you'd, you'd hide behind the curtain and leave your, your feet sticking out. And and then when they couldn't find you, you'd start to go, Ma! Ma! Because the point of the game was for them to to find you. And, And that was all the fun, was because sometimes there were barriers there that that a two-year-old or a three-year-old just couldn't see through. And when you couldn't be found, when I couldn't be found, I made myself not silent because I knew that was the way to get the attention of that child in the room. Now, I want you to think about that from a spiritual sense. There are times in which we feel like God just can't be found and that he can't be seen. But church, I want you to be rest. I want you to rest assured. He is not silent. He speaks loudly and clearly to us. And while he may not use a voice or high-pitched sounds, he is not silent. As we think about that thought, I invite you to open up in your Bibles if you have it with you. We're going to be in 1 Kings, and we're going to begin in chapter 17. But before we do that, I'd like to review a bit of what we've been studying as a church This is a year-long process. Uh, It's a year-long sermon, if you will. Um, Most of the sermons might feel like a year-long anyway to you, but this one is a year-long sermon for you. And it is all about the fact that that God has brought us into four areas that we've been talking about every week. Uh, The first one is that God has created all things. And he's made this world to be a place that we dwell, that we enjoy, and that we are part of. The second point that we've talked about is that, but man has fallen. There was a fall in Genesis chapter what? Chapter three. The fall took place and man was in a a state of brokenness. An incapable state. But that God promised, even in when he gave out the curse, he gave the promise that one would come to redeem all of those who would believe in him. And that is the beginning of this redemption Phase, creation, fall. Now we're in the redemption phase of scripture as we finish through chapter three and all the way until we get to the New Testament. And when we get there, we will talk clearly about the kingdom phase that the king has now come. The redeemer has come and he's brought us to the place of redemption. Such a beautiful, long story that we are part of last week. 
I love Ecclesiastes. Y'all. I told you it's one of my favorite books. We looked at Ecclesiastes. There's more to life than what's under the sun. Do you remember that? We need to live lives that are more than under the sun lives. If our lives, if our life ended today and all we had was the under the sun stuff, we would be, as Paul said, the greatest fools. We are living more than under the sun lives today. We look at this truth that he is not silent. God is not a silent God. And we enter into a phase of the scripture in the first Kings where we begin to see a separation of of kingship and God speaking. Now, I say that because we're going to look at the role of prophet today. And we're going to look at some of the things that the prophets did and, and what their role was. And then an example of how that plays out in one of the um, instances, one of the events of one of the prophets' lives. So let me ask you a, a trivia question this morning as we begin. See if you know the answer. Who is the first person the Bible calls a prophet? Who is the first person in Scripture that the Bible calls a prophet? I'll give you a hint. It's in the book of Genesis. And if you answered Abraham, you are correct. Abraham is the first person the Bible calls a prophet. The next person that the Bible calls a prophet, you may know. And I'll give you a hint with this one too. You find him in the book of Exodus. And the next primary prophet of the scripture is, of course, is Moses. Yes, he is. Ultimately, the scripture, all of these characters are leading us to a greater prophet. And who is the greatest prophet in the Bible? His name is is Jesus. That's right. The, the, The grand, ultimate spokesman for the Lord was Jesus Christ himself. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it tabernacled in Him. It, the Word became flesh and tabernacled. That is the great prophecy of God, that he's, He is the tabernacle of the Word of God. Now, we get to, and we've studied through this, but we get to the kings, and we see who was the first king of Israel? It was Saul. And remember, if you do remember Saul's life, he had seasons of prophesying in his life even. We get to David. Was David a prophet? He was. David was a prophet. But he was the last prophet king. And so what we're here is to a, a transition now from the king being also having that role at times of being a prophet. We get to that role being separated into specific prophets bringing God's word together. Now, what is a prophet? A prophet, in its purest sense, is a vessel of God to bring about the word of God. In its simplest sense, the Lord wants to choose someone to speak through. He did it through Saul, he did it through David. He's going to begin doing it through the prophets. And in your Bible, you have... Of the major prophets and minor prophets in your books. And, and they're called major prophets, minor prophets. Not because one is more important, but because of what? 
the length of the book. All right? That's all. It's not because one is better than the other. You have the prophets in which God is going to speak through vessels through whom God speaks through. Now, the Hebrew word is nabi, nabi, uh, which is the primary. There are three words actually used for prophet. There's another one, Jose, which means seer. But nabi is the one that is primarily used. And there are two functions that most people attribute to prophets. Okay. The two functions, they both start with F. So I may sound like a Baptist preacher now. They both start with F. Uh, one is forth-telling, and one is foretelling. So just the, the TH really is the main difference. We'll start with foretelling, and, and we see that in the scripture. We saw it with Jehoshaphat, and, and he was about to go into a battle, and the prophet said, yeah, you're going to win this battle. So go ahead and fight it. We saw it with David. Should I go into battle? And, and they would say, he'd say, yes, you're going to win this battle. Go in and fight the battle. That's foretelling. It is a, a, a message from God of things that you should do based on what the future holds. I'm foretelling something's going to happen. The other thing is, what, what was it? Forth. Foretelling, which is not telling the future, but it is, it is putting forth things that need to be said. Uh, one of the examples that we've read in our scripture was when the prophet... Nathan came to David and said, David, you are the man that is this lamb killer. You're the man that's doing things wrong. You are under God's judgment. Speaking forth the word of God. And Nathan, nothing special about him. It, he wasn't under Nathan's judgment. He was a vessel of God's word. Now, keep that in mind as we think about what prophecy is, and then we'll talk about in some application for you and I. Is there any sort of function of this being a vessel for God's word in our day and age? <clears throat> All right. The next thing I want to share with you about prophecy is this, it is that 18 times in the scripture... The Bible says that the spirit of the Lord spoke through or the spirit of the Lord enabled the prophecy to take place. And so the, the being filled with the spirit of God is is what, excuse me, enabled the prophet to speak the word of God. And finally, uh, a, a neat thing that I thought as I was studying through prophets and, and their, their thing is oftentimes in the Old Testament, we find that prophets group together. Uh, almost like clans at times. And there is a, a hierarchy at times of, of who's in charge of the group. And we're going to see some of that play out a little bit today. But we see that specifically with Elijah and Elisha. When Elijah is, is the, the teacher prophet and Elisha comes along and says, I want to be like you. And he takes him under his wing. Uh, we see oftentimes that uh, in this this. Um, group that Obadiah is going to save, that they come together and there's uh, lots of prophets banding together for protection and, and for teaching and to encourage one another. They, they come together, almost like a, a church group, if you will, uh, back in the day of prophets. I thought that was interesting. I thought I would share that along with you. <clears throat> uh, let me give you one biblical example of, of the prophets coming together. Uh, and that's 2 Kings 4.38, Elisha and his stew. Don't ever eat 
if a guy named eat from what a guy named Elisha makes you because uh, it, it's, it may not be good. But here Elisha came again to Gilgal when there was a famine in the land and the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. Presumably Elisha is teaching this group of prophets and he said to his servants, uh, set on the large pot and boil a stew for the sons of the prophets. So this is a, an instance in which they're coming together. It's pretty neat. All right. Here's a question for you. Were prophets ever wrong? Were prophets ever wrong? And we think of a prophet as one who, a vessel for whom God speaks through. Were prophets ever wrong? If you've answered yes, then you are right. Because there was a price to be paid when a prophet was wrong. What was the price to be paid? Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 20 is going to tell us. Stacy's got it up here for us. But the prophets who presume to speak a word in my name, thus saith the Lord, that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, Asherah, Baal, that same prophet shall what? Shall die. Now, this gives you a little bit of the importance of how treating the word of God is very important. And Christian, even today, I want you to know I take great care in proclaiming the word of God to you. There is not a Sunday morning in which I have not spent hours preparing this for you. I want you to know that. If I misrepresent the word of God to you, that is a great disservice. Now, I don't want you to kill me if I do. But I do want you to know that it is my job and it is our job that we take great care. You as a Christian, when you leave this building, in some ways, you are taking on the role of a prophet in that you are a vessel for God's word to be proclaimed. Now I'm not saying that you go do miracles and, and these things. I'm saying in the sense of we are a vessel for God's word to be proclaimed. You also in turn must take great care in learning the word of God. Because it is your job to share it. Teenagers, it's your job to share the word of God. Take great care. Pleasure, but also take great responsibility in doing that. All right. Let's look at a couple of instances in, uh, in the life of Elijah, the prophet. Um, I am uh, partial to Elijah. Uh, what does Elijah mean? Uh, it means my God is Jehovah. And, and I love the name. I, in fact, I love it so much that I named one of my sons. My God is Jehovah. And uh, Elijah was one of the first and most, um, most famous prophets, if you will. And we're going to look at one of uh, the instances in which he's functioning as the role of prophet. And then there are some things we can glean from this that are, are uh, I think, will be helpful for us. Remember, he is not silent. God is not a silent God. He is a God who speaks and communicates. Are you listening? Are you listening? Elijah chapter, I'm sorry, 1 Kings chapter 17, we'll begin in verse 1. If you're ready, give me an amen. amen. All right. Now, Elijah the Tishbite of Tish, 
in Gilead said to Ahab, who is Ahab? Ahab is the king of the northern portion of Israel right now, the divided kingdom. Ahab is the king. Is he a good king? No, he's not a good king. He doesn't listen to God. So Elijah, the man of God, comes before Ahab. As the Lord, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. So Elijah says, I'm turning off the water. Verse 2, and the word of the Lord came to him. Depart from here, turn eastward, hide yourself by the brook Chirith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook. I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So here we see a little picture of a miraculous instance in Elijah's life where the ravens are going to come feed him. He will stay here so long, by the way, that the brook is going to dry up. So the ravens are feeding him for three years, which we'll find out shortly. And he's running and he flee. He fled from King Ahab because he turned off the water and Ahab's not going to like that. All right. So move, jump forward now to chapter 18. We're going to look at verse beginning in verse one. After many days, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, go show yourself to Ahab and I will send rain upon the earth. Now, consider this. You have harassed and injured the king of the land for three years and caused him great, great harm by shutting off his water. And we're going to see one of those problems specifically that he mentions here in this chapter. And the Lord says, now go and talk to your boy. Think about it. (laughs) Elijah, go talk to the guy that really wants to kill you. And we're going to find out how much that Ahab really doesn't like God's prophets in just a moment. Now, let me give you um, a, a little bit of background here. This drought that Elijah caused. Uh, one of the gods that, that uh, the Israelites uh, inserted into their culture was a god named Baal. B-A-apostrophe-A-L. Baal. And he was the god that was the god of weather and understood to be the god of, of weather. So one of the reasons it's believed by many, including myself, that the Lord turned off the water, turned off the rain, brought a drought, was to prove to the people of Israel that Baal was not a true god and that there was someone else that had control over the weather. Now, hear me out here. Sometimes a prophet speaking on behalf of God was not merely just the words that he said, thus saith the Lord, but was also the actions that that were the responses of that. So here it is. I say this to you. He is not silent. And for three years, God very loudly proclaimed Baal is not God. Yahweh is God. And his speaking very loudly and clearly was began or begun with the words of the prophet Elijah and now would come to fruition when Elijah raises his head again. Now, let me give you one other thing about these gods of Israel. 
Now, oftentimes in ancient uh, God lore, they believed that certain gods handled certain areas. So in a certain area, this god named Baal was God over this certain thing. And, and the best way maybe I can communicate that is if you're familiar with the Greek mythology, we know the God of thunder and the God of war and the God of, of beauty and the God of fertility. You had these different gods uh, that were over this area. And that, that's kind of historically how they believed as well. Certain gods, certain areas. Uh, and, and this is why you'll often hear people say in the scripture is the Lord is the most high God. Because they believe that he's the one, okay, well, maybe he's just ruling over the other gods, okay? <clears throat> Baal was also believed in this day to be more responsive the more activity and passion that you put into worship. So if you wanted rain, you could sacrifice more to Baal than your land or your property might receive a greater blessing of rain than the person down the road that didn't receive or didn't give as much sacrifice to this Baal. So these are some of the beliefs that, that Baal, this God had. So these are, these are for context for understanding the rest of the story. Verse 2. Y'all still with me? So Elijah went to show himself to Ahab, being obedient. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. And Ahab called Obadiah. Who was over the household. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And when Jezebel. Who was Jezebel? Ahab's wife. You're familiar with her. A very evil woman. We see lots of stories of her. And the things she does. When Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord. Obadiah took a hundred prophets. And hid them by fifties. In a cave. And fed them with Bread and water. So similar to what happened to Elijah, except it wasn't a bird feeding him. It was Obadiah feeding him. Verse five. And Ahab said to Obadiah, go through the land to all the springs of water and to all the valleys. Perhaps we may find what? Grass. The, the famine was severe and there was no, there was no grass. Perhaps we may find grass and save. What does he want to save? The horses and the mules and not lose some of the animals. Now, now just to give you perspective. Ahab wants to save the horse. Ahab wants to save the mule. But Ahab does not want to save the prophet of God. And so Obadiah has to rescue them and draw them and put them in caves and feed them. The horse is important, the mule is important, but the man is not. That gives you a little perspective of where he was. The horse can do me good. The mule can do me good. The prophet is a nuisance and he needs to die. Verse 6. So they divided the land between them to pass through it. Ahab went in one direction by him, and Obadiah went in another direction by himself. Desperate times have come upon Ahab, and you see in desperate times what you value. And so, Christian, I want to give this to you as you, uh, as you try to uh, equip yourself in ministering to other people. Okay? 
When desperate times come, they say your true colors begin to show. Right? You've heard that. Uh, when we are ministering to others in Jesus' name, what we begin to see is for those who are under the sun people. People not involved in the kingdom of God, not born again. You see that the horse and the mule, they matter. Right? Because the under the sun things are, are what are going to get us through the next day and get us those pleasures we need. What you'll also find for under the sun type people and people who are not in the kingdom of God, people living in this world and this world, material world alone, is that the word of God is a nuisance. Because it is restrictive. It, it keeps people from doing what they want to do. And it is a, an authority that is not desired oftentimes. This is where we, we look at the scripture and go, okay, so when I'm trying to communicate to people who is God, and I'm trying to be that vessel and communicate so that God is not silent with my group of friends and my peers, I need to show the value of under the sun things that are not as important as we think they are and that the spiritual things are. That a God who's not silent is drawing you into the spiritual realm to be part of the kingdom of God. And Jonathan, that's what you showed us this morning. Is that the spiritual things matter. I'm willing to publicly be baptized to show the church that the spirit is now alive in me. And I'm not just an under the sun guy. Let's keep going. Verse 7. And as Obadiah was on the way, behold, Elijah met him. And Obadiah recognized him and fell on his face and said, is it you, my Lord Elijah? So we see that Obadiah knew who he was. And secondly, that he had great reverence for Elijah. Now, why did he have this great reverence for Elijah is the question. Because, was it because Elijah was an awesome guy? Was it because he was a great warrior? No, I mean, no. Because of who Elijah represented. And so, Christian, remember, there is one that you represent. So Elijah answers him, it is I, verse 8, go and tell your Lord, that'd be Ahab, behold, Elijah is here. And Obadiah says, have I sinned? Like, what are you doing? You're going to get me killed. How have I sinned that you would give your servant info, your servant into the hand of Ahab, so he's going to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my Lord has not sent to seek you, to kill you. And when they would say he is not here, he would take an oath of the kingdom of nation that they have not found you. And now you're telling me, go tell the Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And as soon as I have gone from you, the spirit of the Lord will carry you. I know not where he's going to zap you somewhere else or bring you somewhere else. And so when I come to tell Ahab and he can't find you, he will kill me.
Although I, 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 your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Has it not been told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord and how I hid a hundred men in the Lord's prophets of the Lord's prophets by fifties in caves and I fed them with bread and water? In other words, he's saying, look, I'm one of the good guys. I'm on your team. Don't send me into the death trap. I saved the prophets. I fed them. And now you say, go tell your Lord, behold, Elijah's here. He will kill me. So Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely show myself to him today. You can trust me. I'm going to show myself to Ahab today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab, told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. An interesting exchange here, but what we see is, is the, the nuts and bolts of, of how this works out. And Obadiah is, is, is afraid. We see that Elijah is a wanted man because of who he represents. He represents the Lord. Uh, and, and we see that, that Elijah has an authority because of who he's representing and what he's done in chapter 17. When he turned off the water that turned up the heat. And, and now Elijah is, is someone very clearly that everybody knows he is representing God. All right. Y'all still with me? All right. The rest of the story, y'all, is going to be about this. It is going to be about God's authority and the Lord speaking out of his authority to draw people unto himself. All right. The rest of the story is about the authority that God has. About him communicating it to a group of people and him calling to repentance those who are there. All right, so let's, let's dig into that. Verse 17. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is it you, you troubler of Israel? I'm going to read that again. Elijah walks up, Ahab sees him, and he says, is it you, you troubler of Israel? What a great intro, right? Look at the trouble that you've caused me. We can't even feed our horse or our donkey. You're nothing but trouble. Verse 18. And Elijah answers him. I have not troubled Israel, but you have. And your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Ahab, you think I'm the one that caused trouble? You're the one who abandoned God, and therefore God took away your water. And you think I'm the problem. Why don't you look a little bit under and not just the results that you're seeing today? You abandoned the commandments of God. Great trouble is brought upon the land of Israel. Because they abandon the commands of God. Now, friends here today, brothers and sisters. Do we see the same principle in our world today? In case you kind of dropped off for a minute, I'm asking y'all a question. And the question is, does the abandonment of God's commands... 
does it lead to trouble in our arena? So pretty simple question. As a Christian, I hope you can look and say, well, when we abandon the commands that God has given us, there is trouble. And I had a conversation recently with somebody and asked them uh, about how government looks different from the 1950s and 60s until it, and how it looks today. I said, you know, you, you've experienced both in a, in a way. Which would you rather? And the person said, oh, I want a, a government that professed godliness at least in some of its morals and values, rather than one that wants to get rid of any sort of uh, association with Christianity. And we see a lot of trouble brewing in our own nation. Now, let me dial in a little bit. How about in your family? Have you noticed trouble in your family because you've walked away from commands that God has given to your family? Because it gets a little personal too, doesn't it? There's trouble when we walk away from God's commands. Christian, let me give you this and, and share this with you. It is our job to say when we see trouble, that Jesus saves sinners that repent. And that oftentimes trouble shows up in our lives and in our world and in our families and in our, in our social circles. As an instrument to bringing people to understand that Jesus saves sinners that repent. And if we can share with them, there's a solution, a spiritual solution. Because your problem that you're seeing are not just with your horses or your donkeys. They're with your spirit. And if we can offer them that Jesus saves and redeems those who come unto him for salvation. And that all of the horse and donkey problems are not the root of the problem. The trouble is that you don't know Jesus Christ and you haven't surrendered yourself unto him. Church, that's our job. Are you involved in that? Are you participating in that? All right, I'm going to read the rest of the story. I've got to hustle. We're going to read it. Watch what happens. Now, therefore, Elijah says, send and gather to me all at Mount Carmel. The 450 prophets of Baal, the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent to the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two different opinions, hobbling back and forth? How long are you going to trust Say you trust God and then go to the Baals. If the Lord is God, follow him. Draw a line. You can't live in both worlds. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Meaning they weren't ready to make a decision. Verse 22. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left as a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us and let them choose one bull for themselves. You get to choose, giving you the benefit of the doubt. Cut it into pieces, lay it on the wood, put no fire to it. 
And I'll prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of Yahweh. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people said, we agree. It is well spoken. Christian, you have made a choice that Yahweh is your God. And his son, Jesus Christ, the Lord. That is the choice you've made. And that is the presentation oftentimes we need to give to people. And even in our culture, we have people, lots of people around us who believe in God. But Christian, that does not mean the work is finished. These people, these prophets, they all believed in God. He just had a different name. Verse 25. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal. Nope. What verse am I in? Yeah. Choose for yourselves one bowl. Prepare it at first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God. But put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them. They prepared it. They called upon the name of Baal from morning until when? Until noon. Saying, oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice. He was silent. And no one answered. And they limped around the altar. Same word. That they had made. And at noon, Elijah, what did he do? He mocked them. You know, sometimes people need to see the folly of what they're doing. So he mocked them. Sometimes that brings a little reality to the minds. So he mocked them and he says, cry aloud, for he's a God. Maybe he's musing. Maybe he's in the potty. Maybe he's on a journey or perhaps he's just asleep and you need to get louder to wake him up. And they cried aloud. They cut themselves after their customs with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. They were passionately, come on, Baal. And at midday and as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. There was no voice. No one answered no one paid attention. In my words, Baal was silent. Verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, the name of Yahweh. And he made a trench around the altar as great as would contain two seas of seed, a big trench. And he put in the wood, he put the wood in order to cut the bull into pieces and he laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. He's given him home field advantage and all the advantage and removing any excuse that could come of this. 
And then he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. There are no excuses for when God speaks. God is God. He has communicated to you. He has communicated to me. When you walk outside and you see that burning fireball in the sky, God made that to show you that he can give you just the right amount of heat and just the right amount of cold. There are no excuses. That breath that you just breathed eight seconds ago, you didn't make. You didn't buy. You didn't find. That is God's air that you just breathed in. And he made it for you. There's no excuse. He is not silent. That, that blood in your veins, you didn't make it. Neither did your mama. And it's flowing right through your veins and giving life to your fingertips and to your stomach and to your eyes to see today. God did that. He put that blood in your veins. There is no excuse. He is not silent. He is God. Verse 36. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known on this day that you are God in Israel. And that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Yahweh, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Why does God speak? That those who hear may be brought unto him. Why did Jesus show up on this planet? To save sinners, to seek and to save the lost and to turn the hearts of people unto him, to draw people into the kingdom of of God to make them spiritually alive that they might see who God is, know him and have life and life more abundant than under the sun life. Verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord, then God spoke through fire. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. When all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh is not silent. He spoke in the days of Elijah. And he spoke even more clearly in the days of his son, Jesus Christ, the Lord. Are you listening? Have you heard? Have you responded appropriately to the message that Jesus says, come and follow me? When Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is now. Leave your plow and come follow me. Have you listened, Christian? Are you repeating the message? He is not silent and he will use you to repeat that message. He's given it to us in a book form. Are we sharing that message? Are you personally sharing that message?
He is not silent. Let us not be either. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what you have shown to us. We thank you for speaking loudly and clearly to us. Lord, may we not be silent. May we speak clearly. May we not limp between godliness and worldliness. But may we speak clearly your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.